0: Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter. Please be sure to bookmark acons.substack.com. That's our home on the net where you'll find uh, links to this podcast as well as our commentary, all of our social media platforms, everything acons you'll find at acons.substack.com. I'm pretty excited because I have a pretty cool guest to share with you today. Dr. Carol M. Swain rose from being a ninth grade dropout to earning her PhD from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She earned a Master of Legal Studies from Yale Law School. Uh, She is a political scientist and former faculty member at Vanderbilt and Princeton Universities. Her opinion pieces have been published in the Financial Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Times, and the Epoch Times. She has also appeared on numerous shows such as Hannity, Fox and Friends, as well as making several appearances with us here at ACONS as well, and the honor of serving with her on the Black Voices for Trump National Advisory Board. Dr. Swain is credited as the author or editor of a number of books, including her Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House, written with Dr. Chor. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show, Dr. Carol Swain. Hello, how are you? It's good to see you again. According to a tweet from the chief of the United States Border Patrol, there were over 26,000 apprehensions, 7,000 gotaways, three sex offenders, one wanted felon, and one gang member captured in a recent 72-hour period. The Border Patrol has also captured 83 pounds of meth, 66 pounds of cocaine, five pounds of heroin, and 11 pounds of fentanyl uh, during this same period. These numbers may be the calm before the storm. Will this week with the expiration of Title 42 and the expected surge of illegals that will accompany that see the end of United States sovereignty, in your opinion?
1: I mean, we've been dealing with the illegal immigration problem for decades. And uh, as far as the end of U.S. sovereignty, I think a number of things the Biden administration has done over the years uh, would be uh, as serious But clearly, uh, they believe in globalism, one world uh, order. Uh, They would like to erase boundaries uh, between nation states. So they've been very clear about that.
0: In the 2007 book, Debating Immigration, you wrote about how, quote, the greatest competition occurs when among people at the margins of society, a multiracial group that includes poorly educated blacks, whites, and Hispanics who compete against each other and against new immigrants for low-wage, low-skill jobs, end quote. What impact will this post-Titled 42 tsunami of incoming illegals have on these communities?
1: Well, I mean, that 2007 book, Debating Immigration, which was updated in 2018, uh, the conditions have only worsened. But the political strategies used by the Democrats and ignored by the Republicans is that uh, they focus on low-income people and their problems uh, uh, and treat them as victims but they're not actually um, telling people the truth about why their wages are low, why it's sometimes difficult to get a job. Uh, they have flooded the market with persons from other countries that are undocumented. And we know that through the law of supply and demand, that if you flood uh, the market with any commodity, you know whether we talk about humans and you know I hate to refer to humans as commodities, but Uh, The cartel and even the government at times refer to migrants as products. And so you flood the market with uh, cheap labor. And of course, it's going to hurt Native-born Americans, whether they're white, Black, Hispanic, or anyone that's been here. And if they are low-educated, low-wage workers, they are going to be hurt the most. That is absolutely right.
0: In the book, Black Eye for America, you focus on critical race theory. Can you explain what that is and why you call it, quote, a fundamentally racist worldview?
1: Well, critical race theory comes out of critical theory. And for people that have studied philosophy on university campuses, critical theory is related to Marxism, uh, cultural Marxism in particular and with critical race theory, that whole concept was developed by Derrick Bell, uh, who was Harvard University's first black uh, law professor and uh, and later by Richard Delgado. Uh, they believe, Derrick Bell believed that whatever white people did, whether they supported the civil rights movement, any kind of legislation they passed, it was always to their benefit. And that white black people remain oppressed, uh, he would be on the side of saying that the racism is systemic and there's only so far that white people will allow people of color to go. Uh, critical race theory argues that white people uh, are born pretty much with privilege, that racism is in that DNA, they have structured society to the benefit themselves, of themselves and that um, all minorities are victims, regardless of whether they are the offspring of a, uh, of a black billionaire or, 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 or a multimillionaire, all people of color are seen as victims, all whites are seen as oppressors, and they argue that only white people can be racist. And so all white people are called upon to renounce their racism, doesn't matter if they are descendants of abolitionists, that they never held slaves, that their families only arrived in the U.S. You know, in the last fifty years or the last ten years, it doesn't matter. If they have white skin, they're considered guilty. And uh, uh, with critical race theory, they are supposed to renounce their guilt, and then be, and then dedicate themselves to become an anti-racist. And there's so many problems with that. For once about, for one, it assumes that. Only white people can be racist. We know that members of any group can be racist. In fact, uh, Hispanics are often racist towards Blacks and vice versa. And um, both groups, Blacks and whites, are sometimes racist towards Asians and white Americans. Uh, the left, uh, the people that push critical race theory, would say that minorities can be racist because they don't have power. Well. You know, we've had a a black president that served two terms. We've had three black attorney generals. We have black people in positions of power throughout our our society. Uh, And we have, you know, black millionaires and billionaires. So I think it's a lame argument to say that only white people can be racist. So critical race theory uh, is a racist ideology that divides the world into oppressors and victims. It assigns all white people to the oppressor category and all minorities to the victim category. And that's why I say it is racist to the core.
0: It's such a pernicious ideology. When did you begin to see its rise in academia along with a lot of these other indoctrination ideologies?
1: I mean, I did my uh, education Uh, in the 80s, my graduate education, got my bachelor's degree, and there were Marxist professors on the campuses. Usually there would be one or two, but the critical race theory, postmodernism, deconstructionism, all of those uh, were part of the intellectual life of the university. But what I saw in the 1990s and in the 2000s was What used to be confined to the philosophy and political science departments seeped into every department of the university and it sort of took up root in departments of education and it began to impact not just the whole university culture where you got political correctness uh, demands for safe spaces trigger warnings um, demands you know for multiculturalism separate dorms and a reversal of the gains of the civil rights movement, all of that happened gradually. And, uh, and then it seeped down into K 12. And I would argue that I saw the changes taking place right after President Obama got elected, and he appointed Arnie Duncan, and uh, yes. Kevin Jennings, you know, to, to the Department of Education. And you started seeing the pushing of the LGBTQ uh, agenda and, uh, and restorative justice, and just many changes that uh, uprooted the progress that we were making in America when it came to race relations.
0: I wanna to touch on part of that. And, and you know I, I see this push for uh, resegregation with the separate dorms and the separate graduation ceremonies and those sorts of things. And it's shocking to me, really, um, that we fought so long and so hard, and now we are regressing
1: historically. Well, well, this thing, Marie, is that those demands for separatism started almost immediately after the schools, colleges, and universities began to be integrated, and so you saw uh, first the black student unions, unions, then the black theme houses then the demands for the separate uh, graduations, uh, demands for separate spaces. And now at some universities, students can take courses in course sections with members of their own group. And so we uh, had a civil rights movement. We declared that segregated um, uh, um, education, that it was inherently unequal that it was a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. It's also a violation of the Civil Rights Act. But uh, that was what our ancestors fought for. and Some of the people that fought for it are still alive. And so what we have is a reversal. But we have black people demanding separate course sections, separate dorms, lowered standards. They are the ones that white people, the progressives, uh, push out front. And they are making demands. They are the ones that are articulating that math is racist. Like yeah. uh, in my experience, math is difficult unless you're gifted towards it or if you have the right background. Uh, I had to get remedial math when I was at the community college, but to get my degrees, my PhD and my master's degrees, I had to take uh, math courses, stats. Uh, I had to pass those courses to get my degrees. It was difficult, it was challenging, it required a lot of work, but it wasn't racist.
0: That's so crazy that we are seeing that, because to your point about uh, the civil rights movement, it just seems that this regression um, and this call for uh, reparations and all of these other things, It's, it's shocking, really, because I know that as I'm biracial and on the white side of my family, I would go visit uh, if you've ever visited Arkansas, you know that there, it, it's uh, pretty divided racially. There's you know parts that are all white, parts that are all black and you know um, and I would go. And uh, one of the things that my cousin told me, on my white side of the family, was that, you know, it wasn't until she left this little town that my family is from in Arkansas and went to uh, Jonesboro that she finally saw people of different ethnicities. And so for us to segregate ourselves, because college is a time for learning, for getting new ideas, meeting new people, being able to synthesize all of that and form your worldview. Uh, So it's shocking to me when I see these students segregating themselves and closing themselves off of the opportunity to learn from other people. And I really think that that's why we continue this cycle of racism, because we close ourselves off to new people and new ideas.
1: I agree. But the left, uh, that's by design because they're into indoctrination. They want every black person to believe they're less capable than white people and they're less capable because of racism. And uh, they don't want people and this is not just they don't want an American population that can do critical thinking, because if you can do critical thinking and you're well read and you read the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, the Bible and uh, any of the great books of the Western world, then you can think. And so you're not going to roll over so easily and believe the indoctrination that's coming from Washington. You're going to question things. And uh, the gaslighting that's taking place now is being done by the government, because all of a sudden we're being told not to question the science when science is all about questioning things and testing things and having debate. But yet we're being told now not to question the science. We're also being told that the science can't tell us the difference between a male and female, (laughs) that people can change their sex. And that is ludicrous. And I can remember when Christians were mocked because of their faith, because they believed in a God you couldn't see and God science couldn't prove that God and that science was being touted as if it was so superior, it had all the answers. And now we see that uh, because science doesn't fit the agenda of the progressive left, they're willing to jettison a true science and, uh, and willing to make outlandish statements, but I think the most shocking thing that's taken place in American society today is the transgender movement and the fact that they target young children. Now uh, there are some uh, uh, hospitals, university hospitals, where they're saying that kids as young as two years old or can uh, be gender, you know. Con- not gender confused, because they won't say that it's confused. But the whole idea that they would argue that some people are born in the wrong bodies and that you can change that sex. And it's all about money, because once they begin uh, giving the kids drugs and hormones and surgeries, they have a patient hooked for the rest of their lives and they are sterilizing children, destroying their lives. And many of us are sitting back quietly or trying to go along with the culture and the culture is headed in the wrong direction. And it's not the American people, because regardless of race or political party, the American people have good sense. They know right from wrong. They have a conscience, but we have leaders. And I would say in both political parties that have no consciences, they're all about money. They're all about globalism. They're all about manipulating people. And it is both political parties.
0: I find it so interesting, too, because these little kids, you know, um, are still in and I've said this a number of times here on the show, but kids, m- my background is in early childhood education. Kids don't move into concrete operations until they're like seven ish. So a child who's two or three, who doesn't understand the permanence of death, who still engages in fantasy play and can't tell fantasy from reality. um, You know, that's why they think that Santa Claus is real or the Easter Bunny is real, those kinds of things. They can't distinguish fantasy from reality. And we're going to trust them to know what gender they are when they can't get married. They can't vote. They can't drink. They can't uh, sign up for military service, all of these things. Um, And yet we know that they actually can be able to be Certain what their gender is. It's well, insane you know, to me.
1: Well, here's the thing, Marie. We know how much influence that adults have on our yes. uh, children. And whether it's the parents or the teachers, you can plant ideas in the heads of children. And so, what's taking place, you know, with government permission is all this gender affirming ideology. And we have teachers that are insane. We know that by watching the libs of TikTok where we have the videos that they post. They're not there to teach the children. They're there because they are mentally confused themselves and they are trying you know, to really literally steal the innocence of other people's children.
0: Along with CRT, as we're talking about uh, this whole transgenderism being promoted to children and young adults, Pride flags, BLM uh, flags seem to go together like cake and ice cream they do. Uh, in some of our classrooms. How are the two connected, Carol?
1: They're connected to Marxism. And uh, and I would argue that the progressives that are pushing all of this, they don't care about black people. They don't care about gay people. They don't care about children. They don't care about the elderly. They don't care how many people died in COVID. If they do care, they wish there were more. They have an agenda they have a clear idea of where they want to go. And uh, and part of their goal is to destroy America. And if they can keep us at each other's throats, then that helps them with their agenda. And so the BLM was funded by the progressive left, the people that brought you eugenics, the people who are pushing abortion on the black community, they haven't changed their tactics. The people who were behind the KKK and the sterilization of minorities and or whites, they have not changed uh, uh, their agenda. They're very focused. We're the ones that are confused because we don't know our enemies.
0: Another term we often hear uh, that you examine in Black Eye for America is intersectionality. We hear the term mentioned often by the left. How do you define it and why is it such a dangerous ideology?
1: Well, the young woman, Kimberly Crimshaw, that uh, developed the concept of uh, intersectionality, uh, I believe she was a student of Derrick Bell, and she argues that a marginalized person uh, can have multiple sources of disadvantage. And so if I'm a black female lesbian from poverty, then i I can be discriminated against because i belong to all those different categories Uh, she and other critical race theorists or or people that um, subscribe to these ideas would say that a person's lived experience gives them great authority and their lived experience trumps science and um you know history and any kind of data you can throw at them their lived experiences speak for themselves. So they would argue that if you're having a debate or a discussion, the person who speaks up and tells a story about their disadvantage, the more they can, um, the more categories they cut across, the more legitimate is their voice.
0: Now, we recently saw that AP African American Studies course uh, that created controversy in Florida, but will soon be in school nationwide. The course contains lessons on queer studies, reparations, intersectionality, uh, BLM and required reading from Marxist or far left academics why the push to have our students learn about these topics that have nothing to do with Black history? Why is it so one-sided with obvious snubs of Clarence Thomas, Thomas Sowell, and any number of noted uh, contributors to Black history, including
1: yourself? Uh, Well, I mean, the progressive left, they are Mm -hmm. in control of the levers of power at this time. And so they are working feverishly to uh, infect and indoctrinate every part of our society, and they know that if they get the children, they get them now. They can certainly finish the job that they have they've already started as far as changing the culture. And I can tell you that as a university professor, I taught them up until uh, 2017. I noticed um, a different kind of student showing up uh, around you know 2010, 2012. And this different kind of student was not one that was there to be taught. They were there to school you because they had been indoctrinated with all the politically correct answers to the great problems of the Western world. And, uh, and so they would just articulate and regurgitate the liberal progressivism that they had been taught in high school and middle school. And so by putting it in AP courses, by the time they get to college, they already have the rot, the rot in their minds. And so they're putting it in them so that uh, it, it'll be easier when, when they get to college with the radical uh, finishing off of their indoctrination, because it would have started uh, in middle school and K through 12. It's a very dangerous situation. It's been done by the progressive left and by the Marxists. And uh, it's something that it, it will take a radical um, effort to root it out and i will repeat that uh, you cannot um the democratic party is the worst or the worst when it comes to pushing the cultural marxism but republicans many of them go along with it and especially if they are secular and they're just economic conservatives uh they don't see a problem with it but it will result in the destruction of our civilization because the family has been the backbone of of the civilization in the world. And part of the agenda is to destroy the family, you know, take out the fathers. And we see what taking out the fathers have done to the black community.
0: BLM had on their website that they that their goal was to disrupt the nuclear family. Uh, in 2016 you took some heat for saying that BLM was quote, a Marxist organization all about black liberation. It's not really addressing the problems affecting African-Americans. And so it's problematic. It's misleading black people. It needs to go, end quote. Now I haven't seen any changes. I mean, we've seen, they have been buying mansions and those sorts of things. They painted a street that said black lives matter. I haven't seen them pay for any of these funerals. I haven't seen them in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen them, offering scholarships at HBCUs uh, to have more correctional officers or more uh, representation in the system that they say is so racist and so systemically you know, awful. Have you?
1: No, not at all. And uh, when, in that interview that was so controversial, I pointed out that they were a Marxist group. It was a CNN interview, and I urged people to go to that website. That created a firestorm because I believe I was the first person on national TV (laughs) to call it out for what it was. And so people were shocked because they wanted to believe that uh, they were engaged in positive uh, actions, but they were never about Black people. They were always uh, a progressive way to push the LGBTQ agenda on Black America because two of the founders are lesbians and they describe themselves as, quote, trained, Marxist. And what is a trained Marxist? It's not someone that went to college and took a course on Marxism or read a few books on Marxism. That's someone that's gone off to a camp, that's gone off somewhere and studied the tactics. When they call themselves trained Marxists, they didn't mean that they stayed in a Holiday Inn Express once and read a book on Marxism.
0: That's absolutely right. If you're just joining us, our guest this segment has been Dr. Carol M. Swain. Her book is Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House, written with Dr. Chor, as well as a number of other books. Uh, Professor Swain, how can our audience continue to follow you online and find your work?
1: I uh, post several times a day on Twitter, and my Twitter Handle is at Carol M. Swain. I'm also on Instagram, and I believe it could be PROF Carol M. Swain. I'm on uh, Facebook, Getter, uh, Truth Social. My websites are carolmswain.com and be thepeoplenews.com. And be thepeoplenews.com, I put my latest uh, media clips and articles. Excellence!
0: It was so good to catch up with you again.
1: It was yes, good to thank see you. you.
0: Thank you so much. Okay, we're now at that part of the show where DK comes in and tells us what he thought of the interview, and uh, we might talk about some other stuff. Who knows? We talk about comics. We talk about a lot of things. So let's bring him in. Come on in, DK. Hey. Well, hey, how are you?
2: I'm okay. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right.
2: That was so, would you interview. think of that that I was? Like, uh... Carol Swain. She's not only inspirational. The whole uh, yes. biography from like, dropping out of high school in the ninth grade, yes. getting her GED, working at McDonald's, watching, studying, and going door to door selling stuff. And next thing you know, she's getting a master's in law from Yale Uni- Yale Law School. So it's quite a quite inspirational stories. It is certainly yeah. set a fire under me. I need to. <laughs> I need to do more academically.
0: Yeah, you only have two degrees. <laughs> so what are we I talking about to, today?
2: I need one of those high-paying degrees. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what she did was, um, she's one of the first, and she's definitely been one of the best people to draw this, draw the line between uh, Marxism and what's going on in the Black community. And I give her credit for that because... Now, in 2023, it's becoming increasingly obvious. Like you see, um, I was watching these videos the other day of the, the looting that's going on in certain urban centers like San Francisco, Chicago, uh, and uh, New York. You know, stores like uh, Walmart and Target are being just ransacked. People are walking out with back uh, shopping baskets full of unpaid for goods and leaving the leaving the shelves bare and all it or the not, Nordstroms
0: in San Francisco are closing down. Yeah, that's insane.
2: Yeah, and I have seen videos of you know, people walking into stores like that with, yeah. where they sell like purses for five hundred dollars a piece or more, and they just walk in, grab as many purses they want, walk out. I've seen it happen at an Apple store. Yeah walk in, grab the iPhones, iPads, the, the MacBooks, and just walk out. And that's part of the whole Marxist anti-capitalist movement, whether they realize it or not, because the people who are encouraging them to do these are, are Marxists. I don't want to put words in Swain's mouth, but I think she would agree with me. These are Marxists behind these, these riots. They are Marxists behind encouraging the looting. You see these stupid
0: and this push for reparations.
2: Yeah, I was gonna. I want to add that to. Oh, you see uh, in California where people are yeah. demanding what millions of dollars Five for every black residents that they know that California can't afford, and now they want many multiples of that amount. That's yeah. that's not to make black Californians rich. That's to collapse the California economy. That's well, that's the major goal of the uh, reparations movement. Sorry, what?
0: California. Oh, no, go ahead.
2: No, that was my point. It was, it's part of the anti-capitalist movement to, to collapse the economy of California and, and nationwide. That's the primary goal of the reparations movement. That's the primary goal behind the riots and, and so forth.
0: Well, you know, California has been broke probably a decade or more. Um, it's been heading in a bad direction for a long time, but you know that that I was born in California. I lived in California. I was born in San Francisco, um, and it's only been the last year and a half. I'm sorry, the last two and a half years that I've been here in Texas. So it's insane to me to see my former home uh, decimated the way that it is. It's, it's utterly broke. Um, it's, it's been, like I said, it's been broke for a really long time. So I can't imagine how they're going to cough up $5 million per black person. And here's the thing that really, really frosts my cookie is that our school systems are absolutely the worst. Uh, our schools have been run for decades by the, uh, Democrat party. I I can't think, and I've said it on this show a number of times, I can't think the last time that they had a Republican mayor in Oakland or, you know, any number of places that you could think of in uh, California, certainly not San Francisco, I think it was the year that I was born in 1964. So, I mean, that's just crazy to me. In almost 60 years, they haven't had a Republican governor. And it shows, I mean, a Republican mayor. And it shows. So our schools are in disrepair. They spent, I don't know how, it was during the pandemic. It was right as schools were closing down in 2020. And do you know what San Francisco did? It spent, I don't know, it was something like $41 million to rename all of these schools that kids aren't even going to. The kids are, the schools are closed. They're closed down. There's no one in these schools and they're going to rename them because they're racist. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves. I couldn't believe that. Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves. He's racist. Did you know that? Yeah, he's racist. Not deserving of having a school named after him so they spent this 41 million dollars the world is in a pandemic our kids are are who are already failing in these absolute just awful schools that you know are in dire need of dis that are in dire disrepair and in need of repair and we're worried about abraham lincoln who's been dead for i don't know how many years and we're worried about a school named after him um and and they changed the school named after diane feinstein too which is is incredible to me because she's like you know almost a venerated saint in san francisco uh, of the democrat party so i don't get that one But, you know, we've got this broken system and it seems to me the fair thing to do would be to spend that five million dollars on every black child and teach those kids how to read, teach those kids math, teach those kids proper English. We heard that math is racist and all of this kind of stuff in this uh, African-American vernacular English hoo-ha, you know, uh, it's insane. And dumbing down these tests that, you know, I have said that, you know, I am absolutely appalled by because I've shared the story. When my daughter was 14, she said, don't give me a dumbed down test. I can pass any test that you handle, that you throw at me. And sure enough, this kid who uh, was on the Dean's list every quarter that she was in uh, her community college is now thriving as a veterinary tech. Um, She is one of the youngest people where she works uh, just got a, a, a promotion and a raise. Uh, amazing. Has only been at her career for a year and already she's excelling. So, yeah, we're oppressed. We are. And the interesting thing is, we live in Texas and, you know, the South, everybody's oppressed and we're victims. And, you know, Bubba is a, a, a white supremacist and all that kind of stuff. And here she is, a black child who is a Black young woman, who is excelling in her category. Um, and so you can't tell me that these people are oppressed and, and and that we can't do things that we set our minds to. Education is the way out. And Black Lives Matter and all this reparation, is not helping us at all. Okay, I feel better now.
2: <laughs> no, you're exactly right. I mean, any sensible person would, We'll put the money that supposedly would go for reparations um, towards better policing, better schools, yeah. maybe a tax break. So to so make it easier for black entrepreneurs to start their own, their own businesses and, and so forth. These are the kind of things that would help the black community. But anybody who would. And
0: real home home, home ownership, not the subprime hoo-ha that, you know, gets them underwater.
2: Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned the subprime thing. They're continuing the the Marxist agenda in that housing now where people with better credit credit will have to pay uh, a subsidy to help people with um, poor credit. So if you're like a 740 uh, credit score person, you'll have to pay a certain amount of money depending on the amount of your mortgage. And it's like a fee for having good credit. And then that fee would go towards somebody with bad credit. And that encourages people with bad credit to buy homes. And when people with bad credit can't make the payments and so forth, we're going to see 2008 all over again, the subprime mortgage crisis. So, and, and, and like I said, a lot of that's intentional. And you also see it it at the Southern border of of your state where we're about to see this huge crash of illegals that we can't afford, even, even in uh. News coverage in, in in New York City, which is very far from Texas, they're 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 de- declaring a state of an emergency because of all the illegals who are being busted by your governor, <laughs> and now they have illegals in these uh, historic buildings now. Uh, the the flat iron. Still
0: in this country. Still in this country. Not back home. No, no here. They,
2: they won't get rid of them. Lost but-
0: track of them. Yep.
2: They won't put. A, they won't build a wall. They won't get rid nope. of them. But
0: nope. But we've got forty-one billion dollars to send to Ukraine. By golly.
2: Yeah, yeah, and we should be sending. Uh, that should be used to put National Guard along the border. You know, they, but
0: take care to of stay, our veterans. To yeah, stay on the absolutely. theme
2: It's it's because of uh, this goal to collapse the American economy. Why else would you invite? The world's um, poorest people, felons, mentally mentally deranged, I have to say, or mentally challenged people, the least educated, the least employable people to live in your borders, if not to collapse the, the economy. Um, well, and
0: and also to take away our right to bear arms. Well, they take away the right, but the, all of these things where we're um, raising the age limit, and you know, I'm not necessarily against that. Um, you know, but still, this this push to. Uh, take away arms from people. Because if you look at all these other countries that we've seen uh, throughout the world, I mean, Venezuela, what's the first thing that they did? They took away the 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 arms from the people to be able to defend themselves. So it's absolutely insane to me to see all of this happening at our border. Uh, and as you said, um, it's not meritocracy where we need doctors and we need lawyers and we need this stuff we've got cartels and uh people that are human and sex traffickers that are coming across the border and yet we want to take away guns from people to be able to protect themselves um and and you know i was talking to a friend of mine from california the other night because there was a terrible shooting um not far from where my friend lives. And I was checking in with her. I'm like, I heard about this mass shooting. It was the day that, you know, there were like two or three different shootings in a row. Um, And so back home in California, I shouldn't say home, home is Texas now, but back where I used to live, you know, I checked in with her and she said, oh, well, we just need to ban these guns. And I'm like, don't you live in California? Don't they have a gun ban? Last I looked, criminals didn't look at signs oh, wow, this is a gun-free zone. Let me check in my gun, man. I mean, if they don't read the signs, oh, I'm not supposed to shoplift? Oh, I better put this back in the store. I mean, criminals don't obey signs and and criminals don't obey laws. So it's shocking to me that we're trying to reason with people and you know uh, do all this kind of stuff. It's crazy. It's the very definition of insanity.
2: Right, and uh, we've spoken with this before. Uh, a long time ago, I think, I think it was with Alan West is that the challenge of gun laws is not just to ban them. The challenge of gun laws is to ban guns in the hands of people who shouldn't own guns. And that that's where it gets very complicated. It's interesting that most of the gun laws you see proposed aren't even pretending to have that as his objective. You know, you go around, let's ban AR-15. I mean, how many murders a year are committed by AR-15? Almost none, uh, relatively speaking. Most murders are committed by uh, handguns, especially in the hands of criminals. So,
0: Or the mentally unstable. Have you heard anything about Audrey Hale lately? So the transgender person who shot up a Christian school and three nine-year-olds are dead and three uh, people in their 60s? I mean, that just disappeared overnight. She's the victim, um, not these people whose uh, faith was at issue. Uh, No. And so this mentally ill person was able to get a gun. And I mean, I, I... It just boggles the mind to see every weekend in Chicago, all of these people, these little darling children that are dead on the streets because of a drive-by shooting. Um, You tell me that those guns were obtained legally, that they went to a a federal firearms dealer and filled out an ATF form and put in there, you know, I'm an upstanding citizen. I have no convictions. I'm a good guy. And then, oh, well, here you are. Here's a gun. Do you think that that's the case in most of those gun acquisitions? Let's say no. I don't think so.
2: Well, I would like to see the numbers again, but I, w- I would wager that a very small percentage of murders are committed by people with legally owned guns. Yeah. But but even legal gun ownership can be problematic. I mean, we've seen a certain rash of stories. Uh, this teenager gets shot because he's. Uh, goes to the wrong address. Maybe he jiggled on the yeah. doorknob, thinking, thinking that his siblings are inside the house, and the uh, and the homeowner shoots him. There's another. And
0: who sp- does that? I mean, just somebody's at your door, bam. I mean, it's not even a. I mean, do you not have telephones in your house to call the police
2: no, and say, "Hey, there's somebody at my door. You, <laughs> who are you?" In- who are you and what do you want? You know, I have a, yeah. even even announcing that you have a gun. Would have you been know what's crazy?
0: Just this morning, DK, before we recorded this, uh, we were supposed to have uh, somebody come check our Internet. And it was supposed to be after this because I'm like, I'm recording. So, you know, I can't. So it was supposed to be after, but he came early. Right. So I, my ring doorbell goes off. I see the notification. I see this man crossing my lawn and I'm thinking, well, that's rude. You know, this guy just crossing my lawn. And so my son goes out there. Well, he looks and you know, there's the truck with the name of the company for the internet and I'm like, Oh, he's checking the wires and all that kind of stuff. So it's cool. You know, but I had my ring doorbell or whatever. I didn't go out there just, you know, blasting through my, uh, Window at the guy—that'd be crazy. And he had a legitimate purpose to be there. I had called the the cable company yesterday, and there he was, you know, performing his duties well because he's an hour and a half early. So it's insane to me that if I had that mindset, if I, you know, there—it's crazy.
2: Yeah, that—that's my point. Even legal gun ownership can be very problematic. There's another story about a. I think uh, a cheerleader was in a car and and a car pulls into a driveway or maybe to turn around. Yeah. And before they can leave, the gun, the, the homeowner pulls out a gun and she shoots up the car, killing killing the cheerleader. Crazy. Um, it's, it's not responsible gun ownership. I don't yeah. know. May, maybe it's these stand your ground laws that are so effective. And popular nationwide are encouraging people to shoot other people for the smallest things. So we're
0: not even good neighbors anymore. You know, that you would do that, that you would shoot before finding out any kind of information um, about someone. But we're not even good neighbors. You know, you see those shows like Fear Thy Neighbor that start over a trash can. You know, uh, somebody's trash can got put back on the wrong side or they had to cross across their lawn or their dog uh, got under the gate and pooped in their yard or whatever it is. You know, you know about poopers. You've got (laughs) neighbors that, that have some poopy animals. So, you know, I'm just saying it's crazy to me that you would that you would shoot your neighbor over something like that instead of trying to work it out or even send a letter and say, you know, your dog's gotten it in X number of times or animal control or whatever it is, trying every other thing first. But no, it's just, like, oh, I'm going to take my gun. There you go. And,
2: I've, and I've, heard, I've heard some even horror stories even related to that. There was one guy, uh, his neighbor's dog kept gone on his lawn, probably pooping. Um, he, he kills the dog and, and gives a letter or a note on the neighbor's door saying i killed your dog it's your fault have a nice day you know it was was just amazing to me go ahead yeah it's just amazing to me anyway back
0: situation with the the guy that killed uh the five people next door because a a a baby was crying or something like that or no he was shooting off his gun and the baby was asleep and so they told him knock it off we've got a baby that's sleeping uh and and the guy got mad and shot up the whole house
2: that wasn't illegal wasn't it
0: And i was gonna say you not here legally either so yeah crazy
2: um what's also crazy about this is how often these types of killings become justified yeah. in the eyes of uh people who read the stories so like in new york I, mean, I live in New Jersey, but I get a lot of uh, New York news. Um, There's a very hot case involving a homeless man, a Michael Jackson impersonator, yes. who goes into the subway, demanding food from people, saying, "I'm hungry. I don't care if I go to jail for life. I'm go- I-, I need food." Um, basically, becoming a nuisance to himself and. Which is, which is well, I lived in New York for decades and this is not an uncommon occurrence. I've seen homeless people do far worse than that. Um, I, I've even seen non-homeless people do that. I, I, I remember one time I was living in New Jersey but I was working in New York and I had to take this, uh, the, the Metro Park train to New York and we got stuck in a tunnel. And one woman who said she had a blood sugar problem was run, running through the train saying, I need food. I need food. Somebody's going to feed me. Give me what you got. You got a sandwich. She was like demanding food from people. So it was a lot like this homeless person did in the subway train. Anyway, um, he, he, the homeless guy, Jordan Neely, I think his name is, became such a nuisance that um, he was restrained by three men. And one of the men who, interestingly enough, was a Marine who really should know better. Uh, Put the guy in a chokehold to restrain him. Now, anybody who knows anything about chokeholds, you don't do it for you don't do it for more than a minute. Mm -hmm. This guy had a chokehold on Jordan nearly for fifteen minutes apparently, (sighs) and of course, (laughs) anybody who's in a chokehold for fifteen minutes is going to die. And I know a lot of conservatives who watch this. I know a lot of conservatives in the press or defending the Marine. And of course it's a race issue because the homeless guy was black and the Marine was white. And I'm, and I'm saying, I'm not saying that the Marine is a bad guy, but as a Marine, or anybody who's had even a basic training and eat on how to apply a choke properly would know that you can't hold it around somebody's neck for 15 minutes. So of course, um, they're protesting you know, the people jumping on the tracks to stop the trains they calling it a murder and and yes there's a lot of hypocrisy in that because if if the marine was a black man who, who was just killing another black man for whatever reason a lot of these people could not have mm-hmm. cared less about the death because you know homicides happen all the time in New York Chicago
0: um, everywhere
2: yeah LA Unfortunately, when it's a black-on-black crime, mm-hmm. no one seems to care as much as they do when there's an incident involving a white man and a and a black victim. But that's a different story. You know. <laughs> uh, the the point is is that as I was saying, that it's really disturbing to see how many people are defending this marine. Admittedly, he I doubt if he intended to kill uh, Jordan Neely, You know. But there, there is an um, there was such a there is such a thing as unintentional homicide um, and and he should be sentenced for that as I said there's no excuse for having somebody in the show for 15 minutes
0: yeah and of course you know the police should have responded within 15 minutes but we right. know that that's also a case where you know in High crime areas or urban areas, the police response isn't as great. And with this call to defund the police, it's even longer wait times. People don't understand that it's to their own detriment that they defund the police because there are less. There's less of a police presence than there already is in some of these uh, communities. So,
2: yeah. And speaking of the police, there was an incident with uh, George Floyd. You know. Which, which is a very similar in a lot of ways because, yep. at least in my opinion, it involved a cop who wanted to restrain uh, somebody who was passing a bad check, refused to let himself be handcuffed, refused to sit in the back of the police car. They had to restrain him, and they picked a, a very terrible way of doing it. They put yeah. their knee, or one cop put his knee in the back of the guy's neck, when a, and then when the guy stopped breathing, it became a, a global event. And before that, there was a case, I think it was in New York, Eric Garner, who was yep. this uh, big guy, black man, selling loose cigarettes. They call them Lucy's, where I'm from. <laughs> you buy a pack of cigarettes and you sell them to your friends for like a quarter apiece. You make a little bit of a profit that way. So the cops come, tries to stop him from selling Lucy's. He objects. They try to restrain him. One of the cops was Eric Garner in a chokehold. Mm-hmm. And you know, every gardener stops breathing. Mm-hmm. So so it's it's not like this is new. Right. Anybody who follows the news, even if you're not an MMA guy or or trained Marine or a cop, you know by now that chokeholds can be um, fatal to the person in the hole. And so that really dampens the excuse you might have for, for holding somebody like that such an extended period of time
0: absolutely it's a tragic story
1: yeah
2: yeah it's uh it's a lot of tragic stories out there lately involving uh, killing and what's homicide and what's not homicide what's justifiable we've talked about in the past this case where um it's another another incident where the two people of of our different races, Um, a black guy pulls into a handicapped parking spot outside of a convenience store, a white guy, another guy who was just a customer, but he got very offended by that, started arguing with the black guy, Uh, the black guy pushes him, the, the white guy falls to the ground, takes out a gun and shoots the black guy in the chest. Mm-hmm. And initially, the police did not even want to charge the white guy with the crime because it happened in Florida and Florida's a standing your ground a lot. Um, Staying Where have your-
0: we seen that before? Is it George Zimmerman maybe?
2: Yeah, and, and George Zimmerman was another case like that mm-hmm. where you get this Hispanic guy, he sees a black teenager. He, he thinks the black teenager's acting suspiciously he decides to follow him, which is itself is a provocation of you, know, if you. If you, you're leaving a story and you're being followed by somebody, you might react defensively. But it was not seen when Trip, Trayvon Martin turned around and attacked George Zimmerman. That was not seen as self-defense. You know, some guys follow me. I'm going to have to defend myself. What was seen as self-defense was the fact that when george zimmerman was on his back he managed to find his gun and and shoot uh Trayvon martin and, and kill him that way and and a lot of people saw zimmerman as a, a hero because of that which which i also found disturbing yeah. but you know i'm not a lawyer sometimes i wish i was because it's a very complicated legal Issue where we have a lot of discussion and debate It's when is the right to kill someone? Well, or, and then
0: you can go back to school. We talked about the. There <laughs> you go.
2: There's a degree. I remember a few years ago we we sent the petition out because of this young uh, soldier I remember. who um, Michael Giles. Exactly. He um, he was visiting some friends. There was some some sort of melee. Involving his friends, he goes out to investigate. Um, he gets attacked by the mob. Um, they uh, they strike him to the ground. He manages to free his weapon, fires, shoots one guy in the leg. You know, thankfully, he didn't kill anyone or even cause a major wound. The guy even said that he hit Michael first, but because of uh, the strange Florida law involving uh, guns at the time. This is well before DeSantis um, had the strange law about guns and using guns. And even if it's a self-defense, the the soldier was sentenced to 25 years for that. I think he, he already served well over a decade for defending himself against a mob and without even injuring anyone seriously. I I was working very hard to to get that ruling overturned, I kept running into obstacles. So Maybe it's something I should take up again because that's, that's a case that really bothers me also. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a wrap for this episode of African American Conservatives. This is Marie. This is DK. With African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash AACONS. And also you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash AACONS forward slash support.